Welcome to All In. I'm Rick Jordan. Today I'm the CEO of a large technology company, but in 2007, I lost it all. And now I'm here to share the lessons I've learned and the strategies my guests have used to build success from the bottom up. And in every episode, you'll get something to reach for and something to grab onto, whether it's personal development, business, technology, or giving back. You'll be able to ignite the spark in your life to make that change and transformation so 10 years down the road from now, you'll be able to look back and say, I don't even know that person that I was. I'm so glad I decided to rise. I'm so glad I decided to stand up and actually begin to start to ignite the spark, to go all in. Welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I am Rick Jordan. Today, I'm going to tell you a story. And... Everyone knows, I've talked about it before, how much weight I lost. Jeez, it was like six years ago now. And well before that, I've even talked about in the very first pilot episode on how the whole what I'm about thing came up. At the event that I went to where the question was asked, what are you known for? And that's where the whole podcast came from, all in with Rick Jordan, because of the car ride with a salesperson that was working for me and... I was just really passionately talking about something and I apologize and sorry, I get passionate about this. He's like, Rick, I think you get passionate about anything that you go after. You're just all in. So it's always been that way. And where did that decision point come to, to be that way? You know, certain people are, are born with this kind of thing, with this drive and others that can be conditioning, I think that can bring this out of everyone or it can be just inspiration, I feel is where everyone can be lifted out of whatever muck and dirt that they're in in life because they have somebody that comes by them and just extends a hand and says, I'm going to pull you up out of this junk that you're in right now. And it's always that person's choice. And there's some that will even decline that hand saying, you know what? I got this. That's okay. And a lot of times it's pride. It's insecurities. It's jealousies that will prevent them from taking that olive branch, that hand, especially if it's somebody that knows you closely because it's very, very difficult to accept help from somebody that is close to you because you almost feel violated in a way, embarrassed when somebody you know that is close to you wants to help you. And I've been there too. I've turned down help from people just because I wanted to prove something. I've wanted to go after something myself to show that, hey, Rick Jordan can do this. I don't need help from anybody. You know, and I've learned the hard way by falling on my face a couple of times that the only way to really build something meaningful is with a team. And the only way to learn quickly and even jump over some steps is to watch other people's mistakes <laughs> and allow them to tell you what not to do because they've already learned that. And I love that because I, I love influencing really, really close people to me and especially family you know, and really close friends that have been around a long time. And sometimes it's frustrating too, because we are close family <laughs> and they've known me when I sucked worse at things, you know, and they know me as the person that they grew up with. And it's much difficult, much more difficult for them to accept help from me than it is a perfectly valid stranger that might walk up. So I love my family. I love my close friends and I, I want them to succeed. And when I know that I can help them out, I always extend that hand and try to pull them out of the junk. Now, when did that decision happen for me? And how did I make that decision to be all in, in life, in everything that I do? 
Yeah, I think it was way before then because I was I did a segment on TV last year about uh, bullying and the ethics of bullying. You know, there, there was a lot of this was a fantastically popular segment. You know, and I did it right at back to school time. It was a wonderful timely hook. If you ever do media appearances, one thing you have to know that about hooks is that you want something that that's timely or something that's local because then the local TV stations will pick you up. You know, it's a great way to get to get on air and get exposure. It's fantastic. There's a little secret sauce for you. Squirrel. Squirrel. <laughs> but pulling back into this, I was I was great going through grade school, you know, and into uh, middle school, about fifth grade or so. But then going into sixth grade, I started getting bullied. Yeah, and it, it wasn't, I, I really don't have a, a pin to poke on this as far as a, the, if I can nail it on the head as to why. But let's speculate today, <laughs> shall we? One, I was very smart. And a lot of things came extremely easy to me. And the bullies that were around were not ones that were very intelligent. Or I could even say that they were ones that it took them a lot more effort to try to accomplish things that I could. You know, and when it came to sports, I was always extremely good at any sport that I tried. I, it didn't take much practice. I was just very coordinated. You know, what? even ping pong. I mean, the first time I played ping pong, it was like, wow, this is pretty simple. And just hand-eye coordination is something that I was just really good at. I played baseball for many, many years. And like anything, though, you have to practice and work at it. And this was one way that I got my son involved in swimming and convinced him to because he was very much the same way as me, still is, in that he just wants to be the best at anything that he does. He wants to go all in in everything that he puts his mind to. This is my oldest son, Richard. And I had to convince him because I finally got to him because he didn't want to join swimming. This kid was a natural. Oh, my gosh. Dove into the deep end at four years old and diving down to the bottom of a 14-foot pool and picking up rings like at his third lesson. I'm like, this, this guy's a natural fish. <laughs> and so cultivating that, and you don't want to ever try to twist your arm, twist the arms and you know force your kids into something they don't want to do. I think that would be a bad parenting lesson. But you do absolutely, as a parent, want to encourage them in their natural giftings. Because it's something that they're good at and that they can develop. And it finally came down to him saying, when he told me that he didn't want to do swimming, didn't want to dive into that, <laughs> there's a pun, that he, uh, he was afraid that he wouldn't be the best. And I said, well, well, let me tell you about me. I played baseball for nine years. Got really, really good. I should have gone into college ball. I probably could have gone pro. But it took me seven years out of the nine that I played for a traveling team, it took me seven years to make it to the All-Stars. Even though I was still really, really good, but was I the top of the top? I was only the top of the top my very last year that I played. And that was one of the reasons why I stopped, <laughs> is because I felt like I had conquered that. And even though there might be other things, but I had other interests, all of that, and I didn't feel at that point that I could be all in with that anymore. I loved the game, loved playing it, but there were so many other things that I wanted to try because I've got these interests that just seem to jump from day to day. That's fine. And I have to be the best at all of them. You know, so for me, being all in started way back then. And I was just naturally gifted and talented at a lot of things to the point to where even school would just bore me at times. You know, I talked about this before, too, that I didn't like doing the homework because I just got it. You know, I was just able to consume information so much more rapidly than a lot of others. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why I was bullied. 
is because I just got it. Second reason, my family was always poor. You know, my dad always used to say, I've said this before, that he had the best part-time job in the world. He might have made maximum at any point in time, maybe about thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars a year. You know, and now I do seven figures and my dad made five. <laughs> you know, so it's I would get the shoes that were from Payless. You know, I would get those, I don't even, what were they called? Pro wings, I think is what they were called. And I would start to look around because I would start to, it's like, why are kids picking on me? And I would look around and the ones that were picking on me were ones that were, that maybe had to work a little harder in school. They were ones that were wearing Nikes or Reeboks. I don't know if anybody remembers the pumps, the Reebok pumps. They were shoes. These were so cool. And I thought it was so awesome when I finally convinced my parents to get these things because uh, they literally had like an air pump on the tongue of the shoe in the shape of a basketball. They were a basketball shoe. You could pump these things up and it would just pump up the bottom of it and the cushion around it and give you like this extra support and extra cushion as you were playing the game. They were pretty cool. I remember a lot of kids would just keep pumping them sometimes because they had a little release valve on there too. Some would over pump them and then maybe there's pop. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the kids that were picking on me were given pretty much anything that they wanted, you know, and I don't, I don't understand why that was because everything that I've had in my life, my parents would do everything that they possibly could for me. I had an amazing childhood. Uh, I can't say enough good things about my, my dad and my mom and they would do everything they could for me when they could do it. But there were just some things that could not happen. You know, my, my mom watched kids, uh, you know, babies and toddlers and all that to make ends meet in our home. And she, at one point in time, it was maybe seven kids or something like that that she was watching. So out of all this, I'd have to say that there probably wasn't a lot of time to give me attention, you know, from her because there was that many more kids in addition to three kids in the household already. And I'd get home from school. They'd still be there because most parents would get off at five o'clock, six o'clock at night, and then they'd come pick up their kid. It was like a little mini daycare. And that was great. You know, she did whatever it took to make ends meet as well. And they, they worked through a lot of amazing things. And they, man, I, our, the highlight of our nights out, I guess, was literally, I remember going to McDonald's and they would have, you know, 25 cent hamburgers and 35 cent cheeseburgers. My mom would bring our own cheese to McDonald's because buying the cheese from the grocery store was less expensive than paying the extra 10 cents to get cheese on that burger on these Tuesday night specials that they had. And I remember sharing two drinks two sodas, two pops amongst all the family, every single person that was there. I mean, we, we were just dead broke, you know, but uh, at the same time, I never felt like there was stuff that existed as far as our basic needs went that were not met, you know, so they managed everything extremely well, you know, and anytime I wanted to do something fun, I, I don't know the behind the scenes, but they would skimp and, and save to try to make sure that that would happen. You know, I remember being a teenager that they would, they would save up so that they could, when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, so that they could get an annual pass for me to Six Flags so I could hang out with my friends there, you know, and I'd have something pretty much taken care of the whole time. But our, our going out to dinner and having a nice meal was, you know, can I get chicken nuggets tonight instead of a cheeseburger? <laughs> 
because it, the chicken nuggets cost like twice as much as the cheeseburgers uh, on those nights. And it, that was like the, the nice way to go out. I, I don't remember eating at any nice restaurants ever during my childhood because it just wasn't in the cards. And that, that's okay. So it came around to all of this happening. And I'd start to look around at all these other kids who had these nice shoes and nice clothes. And those were the ones that were the bullies. And I feel like a lot of them, and th this carries over into business nowadays too, even with me, because I noticed that those who will fail in business or those that, that always have something negative to say about somebody else's business that is in the same industry are those that kind of grew up to where they were given everything. And they never really had to work for anything to make it happen. So there's a lot of hardship and a lot of hard knocks that I had to go through growing up that I had to overcome. And then it came around to, I was 16 years old. Actually, I'll backtrack a little bit. When I was 15 years old, my dad went into the doctor one time. And I remember that he had to come back home and they admitted him to the hospital overnight the next night for some planned tests. And I remember asking my mom, you know, because this was out of the norm. This is the first time that any of my parents had been to a hospital, you know, even with broken bones. You know, I don't even remember. I, I had one when I was in eighth grade, but the, I was the only one that was in the hospital out of all of my siblings, out of my parents, just because I dislocated my, my finger. That was the only hospital trip I remember outside of my dad being in the hospital the first time just to get some tests done. And I remember asking the question, it, Mom, is this serious? I was 15 years old at this time. You know, and having kids... Now, being 11 years old, my, my twins, you know, I remember them asking very intellectual questions as early as six, <laughs> you know, and I think they're pretty intelligent as well. But at 15, you know, kids know a lot of things they, they pick up on tons. And at 15 years old, I, I could just tell that there was something going on. And at that point, how do you sugarcoat something for your kids? So my mom said, yeah, th this looks like it's something pretty serious. So it turns out that my dad had leukemia, and it was a genetic thing, something crazy. You know, maybe it was something that, you know, his microbiome had <laughs> triggered. Who knows? And we went back to doctor visit after doctor visit, trying to figure out what was going on. He had to give himself injections for a while because it was a form of leukemia. At that point in time, the tech and the, the medicine could keep it at bay for a little while. But they said, eventually, it's just going to go out of control. And something bad's going to happen. So we recommend that you get a bone marrow transplant. That's the only way to possibly cure this. Now, this was 1995. That was the, that was the tech that was around the best course of action at that point. So, of course, he said yes. And while the only vacation that we had taken as a family, even out of state, prior to that was when I was maybe 12 years old, driving down to Texas, <laughs> you know, in the back of it. This is why I can't do road trips. This is a little insight into Rick Jordan here. This is why I can't do road trips now because it was in the back of a Hyundai Elantra, a tiny little vehicle, three people, three kids back there. You know, I'm just squished because I'm tall, <laughs> you know, with my brother and sister, not having much room in a 15-hour car ride. I mean, that was just ridiculous. This is why I don't do road trips now. Squirrel! But heading back to my dad and what was going on with him he decided to say, yes, I need this bone marrow transplant because if this is the only way that I could possibly have a, a normal life expectancy because the doctors are telling me that I can't otherwise. 
this is my only option. Even though things aren't crazy right now, the injections, I remember it was called interferon. That was the medication. I think it's still around today. The crazy things you remember from your childhood. He wanted to make sure that he could do everything possible so that he was around. And going through that, and then my dad ended up having the bone marrow transplant. But before that, said, you know what? We're going to go on a family vacation. We're going to go to Disney. It was the only... <laughs> vacation that we ever really took. I don't even consider the Texas trip a real, a real vacation just because of how painful it was in the back of that tiny little Hyundai. But we went on vacation to, to Disney and it was a great time. I was a typical teenager. You know, I still broke off and, you know, they, they let me have as much freedom as they possibly could, even at 15 years old. We come back and he had to go, living in Chicago, even with all the amazing medical hospitals in Chicago that exist now, this procedure was only performed by a handful of locations across the United States. So he had to go to the University of Iowa to have this done. You know, they were the foremost experts on this type of leukemia and this type of transplant at the time. But he went through all of that and everything looked great. Came back home about two weeks later, spiked a fever. Two weeks after that, he died. It was called host versus graft disease. He ended up also catching a staph infection because through the process of this transplant, they have to kill off your old bone marrow before you get the, the donor marrow. And I don't know if everybody knows this, but that's where all of your white blood cells are made. That's really where your entire immunity, your immune system comes from. So when they kill off your bone marrow, you have zero immune system for this time period until it builds back up with your, with your donor marrow that, that's been given to you. And it went super fast at that point. Had the, had the transplants, came home, everything was great. Everything was deemed a success. Two weeks later, he spikes a huge fever, goes back in the hospital. Two weeks after that, he's done. This was just a couple of weeks. Well, actually 11 days after I turned 16. Because I turned 16 October 25th of 1995, and he died on November 5th of 1995. At that point, I had to raise my brother and sister for two years because my mom had to work. And I had no choice <laughs> at that point in time except to be all in. I had to go after things on my own. I had to make sure that I was taking care of my family because my mom hadn't, my mom couldn't do it by herself. I mean, Im imagine for those of you that are out there that might be married or have someone that is super close to you that, that you love and just suddenly losing that person. It's just crazy. I can't imagine the mental agony that, that she was going through at that point. And it probably took her about two years to recover from, from that. And during that time, that was my junior and senior year in high school. I, yeah, I got the perk of being able to drive to school uh, a year early than what the high school allowed, because at that time, they were only allowing seniors to drive to school. But as a junior, I had to. I had a special case because I was driving my brother and sister to school. That was the only way for me to get to school on time was to drive them <laughs> and then drive myself. I had no choice. There's a lot of moments in my life to where I had no choice but to be all in. And this comes down to business too. And I tell anybody who's trying to launch something, you know, and side hustles, I tell this, you know, there's a lot of people who might disagree with me on something like this, but side hustles are a freaking virus through the entrepreneurial community because you are not all in. It's just something you're dabbling in on the side. It may be something you're aspiring to, 
to, at some point saying, yeah, this is what I'm going to do eventually, but there is no way other than just having no safety net, than going all in, no other option than to succeed, that you will see yourself skyrocket so fast. And when I say so fast, you know, it, I think it was Damon John that sent him the overnight success that took 10 years, that took a decade. You know, everyone sees me now that I'm flying up in the air so high. And I mean, there's still haters, there's still naysayers that are out there, but I don't care about them. You know, they, they have their own issues to deal with. But I took such a long time, you know, 12 years at this point to get to the point where I'm at. And it's really just within the past year and a half that things have started to snowball and just blow up exponentially at this point. But it's still because I have no other option. Even when my kids were born, when I was, my twins, when I was told that I was going to be laid off from my job, that was the last time I ever worked for somebody else at that point. And I could have tried to go out to find another job elsewhere. This was right at the beginning of the economic crash. It was 2007. It was like pre-crash mode. Everyone was scrambling. Everybody was laying people off. Jobs were going away. There were CEOs making seven figures a year, all of a sudden working at Taco Bell <laughs> because that's the only job that they could get. And I had no choice. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't support a family on Taco Bell. I had no choice but to succeed. No safety net. And that's been the theme through my entire life is that this conditioning that I have, you know, and uh, still this overachieving mentality, even when I started playing baseball, all the way back to when I was five years old, because I was put in scenarios to where I had to look around and notice people that were better than me and try to figure out ways to overcome even their abilities. Even though I was natural and really gifted at a lot of things, that doesn't mean crap. Who cares if you don't apply yourself? You could be the most gifted person in the world at whatever it is that you're gifted in, but if you don't go all in with that and even try to improve on that, the only way to get better at what you're good at is to practice and to do it. So you've got to drive yourself further in life. I don't care how good you are. If you think you've got it easy or if you've had everything given to you in your sight, you know, if you've grown up in a, a household to where you've had everything given to you no matter what you've wanted, I make my kids work for things. My kids come to my office and they vacuum floors. They clean up trash because and they understand the value of work and effort and having to go after something and achieve something. You know, and I could give everything to them. Making seven figures a year, they could have the freaking world handed to them right now. But still, I do things and go after things so hardcore because they need to see me work. They need to see that I have to press myself and push myself. No matter how hard I try, there's always more that I can do. And they have to realize that that's the same case because other people around you, there's going to be the haters, but those people are the ones that I don't care about. I care about the other 99.9% .9 of people that can take a look at me and be inspired by my success. That can be just given hope and given something to reach for, something to grab onto. Say, hey, you know what? If this kid that, that was poor, that grew up with absolutely nothing, can achieve what he's achieved, then he can. Why can't I do that? Why can't I go after that? I see the effort that he puts in. And you know what? I've said this before entrepreneurialism, you want to be an entrepreneur? It sucks. <laughs> it is hard work, but it can be the most rewarding thing 
that you will ever achieve. Or if you're an entrepreneur, you might have had everything handed to you. There was a post that I had out a little while ago about degree versus experience. And there was a lot of really productive conversation and comments on this post because there's so many people out there that have gone to school that have obtained a degree. I don't, I don't have one. It wasn't the right path for me. And I realized that two weeks into it. I say that I didn't go to school. Really, truth be told, pulling the curtain back, I went to college for two weeks. <laughs> That's it. And I realized this is not the path that I need to go because I felt that I could achieve more and faster by going down a different route. It was just the way for me. And the degree versus experience, when I said that I will take experience anytime because these are people that have learned by effort and just putting their feet to the ground and their head up against a wall where they have no other choice to succeed. They don't have safety nets. They've gone after something to where they don't have the benefit of the knowledge ahead of time, but they, they have this natural ability and this desire to overcome obstacles, this desire to just build something that's meaningful, that can produce a legacy. And it, I, this meaningful conversation was a lot of people that had degrees. And there are a lot of people that work for me that have college degrees that are brilliant, intelligent, hard workers. And I, I love that because they've, a lot of these comments were, I, you know, I gained natural skills. I was able to learn how to make a presentation. I, was, I learned how to write a, a paper, you know, a term paper. That's great. That's fantastic. But there's so many people out there that have degrees in a certain field and then end up doing something that is totally not in that. And it's an epidemic because there's now all they have is debt. What do they have to show for this? They have a piece of paper. And this is where a lot of people were offended. <laughs> but when I said that you've got a piece of paper, what does that mean to you? And a lot of them were saying that I had, you know, well, I have all these things that I can do now. I have these presentations. But not one of the comments said what it really meant to them. In my perspective, they said that they could do all these things. They had all these skills that they didn't have before. What does that matter at this point? I was looking for something more like, I achieved this. This was an obstacle that I felt I had to overcome in my life, that I needed to obtain this degree to feel better about myself and give me the drive to push forward because this was the right path for me. All they talked about was these things that they could put on their resume. And I don't give two craps about a resume and what you say you can do. There's a speaker page that I'm on for an event coming up. And I'm sharing the stage with John Maxwell. I'm honored. I'm grateful to, to be at this level at this point. And I'm looking at the bios on this page. And everyone else, except for myself and John, <laughs> everyone else is listing out like their resume. CEO of this, does this on a daily basis, works with this team. And I'm like, How freaking boring is that? That's like saying that I went to college. These are the courses that I took. <laughs> this is the piece of paper that I can hang on my wall. whoop de freaking do versus John Maxwell, number one New York Times bestseller, has, you know, millions of followers around the world. Or you go down to mine and it's, you know, frequent celebrity expert guests on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, spoken at NASDAQ, Harvard Club of Boston and New York, West Point coming up now too, Mercedes-Benz, all these amazing places. 
that's it's the difference between listing what you do and who you are so who are you are you somebody that's all in or are you just somebody that wants to hang a piece of paper up on a wall and feel like you've arrived because most of the time that's just the starting point it's almost like you've earned your way now to begin <laughs> did you hear that that's the straight truth coming out of school you have now just earned your way to actually begin to make a start and a degree is a huge accomplishment I will never ever minimize that as long as you recognize what it actually means to you and that it does not define who you are who you are is the effort that you take to go on from there and make something of your life to build a legacy, to be an example, to be an inspiration, to show the world that you have what it takes to accomplish what your purpose is and your calling is in life. You don't get that from a degree. You get that from being all in. Here's the one thing for today. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters who you are. And that who you are can be formed by fire, like I had to go through. A lot of adversity and, and hardship and growing up in a home that was not rich and then making something out of myself and then a, a desire to pull others out of the mud, out of the junk because I had to go through all that. And hopefully, I know that by sharing my experience and my wisdom, that they can jump ahead a couple of steps and not fall on their face, at least in the same spots that I fell on mine, and accelerate themselves even further. Or it could be a traditional path, at least is how, at least is how culture and society describes it. That's fine. But make something of yourself that benefits other people and serve. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out every Monday. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. 